Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, I promise you, it's going to be an informative show, an inclusive show, rather than the shit shows that are out there today. Because I don't believe in attacking people. An example of that is, yes, the halftime show. Everyone has something to say about the halftime show. I enjoyed it. I don't really have any criticism. Whether it was fat shaming 50 Cent, which I don't believe in. First of all, he's laughing all the way to the bank. And also, you know, some people just can't hack it anymore. Recently, I was invited to a tour that has been rescheduled so many times. Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett, Def Leppard. I enjoy Def Leppard. I enjoy Joan Jett. Poison, eh. Motley Crue, eh. In fact, I am scared to show my friends the footage of Vince Neil because what the fuck happened? Well, what the fuck has been happening, Vince Neil? If you if you watch some of the videos, they need to hang it up. I I thought they were done. I thought they said in 2015 we're done. January 1st, 2015. But you know, money money always talks and bullshit walks, and that's a load of bullshit. Vince is not ready. Vince and I'm not talking about Vince McMahon. I'm talking about Vince Neil of Motley Crue. I'm not a big Motley Crue fan, and I'm not saying that to spite them. But when I go with my friends, because I'm not going to say no when someone invites me to a show. Unless it's Britney Spears, then I don't go. But (laughs) are you kidding me? I'm probably going to have to shield the fact that I'll be laughing the entire time at Motley Crue and Poison. I'm not a big Poison fan. Nothing against hair metal. It's just not for me. I, I'm not even a fan of Guns N' Roses. I'm just not. Yes, Guns N' Roses, but Rob Williams used to call them Guns N' Moses. Last night, we talked about The Godfather. There's a mythology to film and music that is missing because we know too much. We are inundated with too much information, whether it's an artist selling a cookbook or a tell-all. We know too much. That's probably why someone like Robert Johnson still holds up is the fact that there are only two pictures of him in existence. The mythology of him selling his soul to the devil. How is that possible? And the influence that he had on so many musicians. If Robert Johnson had not existed, had not gone to the crossroads, half of that popular music that you love would not exist also hip-hop hip-hop takes its aggression and its fun from rock they they are cousins hip-hop's been around a long time rhyming and stealing come on everyone's been doing it film and music are in bed together i know people often when they mention my show to others raise their eyebrows but oh he doesn't just talk about film first of all i'm not going to rebrand the show i've done it once that's enough i've been doing this for four years or if i want to get real with you all four fucking years in capital letters fucking years
The Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Originally, it was the Dr. Zeus Podcast. The Dr. Zeus Film Podcast gives it a better ring and a better marquee, if you will, if you would be so nasty. Talking about films like Godfather, Cabaret. I remember when I first watched The Revenant. And I did a show on it, and it was that's a brutal film to watch. And Leonardo DiCaprio, great performance, but the film itself as a whole, everything, the look, the feel, not just the acting, because in this aspect, the acting is secondary. Not to say it's not great acting, but it's all about movement. It's all about expressions and survivalism. That's really what gave Leonardo DiCaprio his Oscar was the survivalism of this character that he's playing in The Revenant. And then Tom Hardy is in The Revenant. But like I said, it's about the look and the feel, the cinematography, the sound, the, the performances, the animals, you know, every everything crossing different hairs you know or is the ghostbusters crossing the streams they have crossed those streams when i record sometimes it's close to the edge of midnight and so what i've been trying to do is to do these hour-long podcasts which are worth more than gold to many of you because i know many of you want to go listen to that podcaster that we don't talk about who has a three-hour show who has time for that I don't have time for that. It's like you got to listen to it in little increments. Everyone has shit to do. You have to go to work. You get your lunch break. You clean up after people. You come home. Same thing. When are you going to have time to listen to Joe Rogan? Oops, I said his name. And I and I here's the thing. I used to watch his show when he'd have musicians on that I liked, like Maynard James Keenan of, of Tool and Sturgill Simpson. He briefly had Be Real of Cypress Hill. And you know what? You all think that Joe Rogan is the shit? Go watch Be Real Smokebox. Joe Rogan can't even hack it joint-wise. He looks like he's ready to go to sleep. Whereas Kevin Smith, whom I've talked about on this show, great independent filmmaker, can hold his own. And that's when they're doing flips. If you don't know what a flip is, look it up. I love independent filmmakers. We all love big budget films, but the independent filmmakers, that's really where where it's at. If you look at Clerks, the first Clerks, not the second one, but the first one, they're about to put out the third and probably final Clerks film. And what Kevin Smith, first of all, Kevin Smith was a big comic book collector he sold half of his collection he maxed out credit cards that is having a dream now filmmakers have this money thrown at them and really just overdo it and rather than work with the shoestring budget because at the end of the day your art speaks for itself that's like if i was going to do a film and then do a press conference. I'm not going to do the press conference because in my in my mind's eye, <coughs> the film can speak for itself. We live in a world of overly hyped stuff, 
and I have nothing against DC Comics. And, and you know, yeah, Marvel, Marvel did it. They fucked it. They smoked it. It's there. And I know some people have issues with Marvel films. Well, it doesn't follow the comic book. It's not supposed to. When people say things like that, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes in Misery. Because Misery does love company. Where she's like, this isn't the one that we're used to. He he didn't get out. That isn't the same cock a story. That's what some of you are with. Oh, he's not following the comic book formula. He doesn't need to. It's like when I saw Lord of the Rings, that's the final film in the theater. And my brother's friend, he's my friend too. He told me, Kevin Klein, shout out, what was going to happen. And then I saw the movie and I said, you didn't tell me that was going to happen. He says, well, I'm not going to tell you everything. And he says, also what the movies do, the movies take liberty with stories. Everyone knows that. I remember when I saw Infinity War in the theater with my friend, shout out Gene. I, I we, we saw movies a lot. And I remember she went to the bathroom. She came back and people were losing their shit. And she was like, what happened? I said, it's over. No. I said, yeah. Why are people upset? Got to go back and watch it. I mean, it's not like you can tell the theater person, rewind it. But yeah, people, people were losing their minds and I'm sitting there thinking, well, we've got a year to figure out what's going to happen. And in that time, you know, we got Venom and then we had Guardian or not Guardians. And then the next year you had Captain Marvel, which was really good. And then the end game comes out, Avengers Endgame. And it was awesome. And nothing against DC, but have you know? I love when people are like, DC versus Marvel. First of all, let's all get real and realistic here. Marvel won. That's like Prince versus Michael Jackson. Uh, I love Chris Rock says, Prince won! And it's true. Prince won. Prince won. And in this aspect, the, the Marvel won. Because if you look at DC, it's really just a lot of hype. Unless you're going to be Christian Bale and come back and do Batman. But he doesn't need to. Those were awesome performances. And the cinematic cinematic aspect and storytelling of what Christopher Nolan did was awesome. And now I find that it's a bunch of hype and a lot of bullshit. Because hype can only take you so far. And I remember seeing Anchor, or not Anchor, uh, Aquaman with my friend, Jean. She kind of liked it, but all the while I'm thinking, this guy can't act. You know how when you break the fourth wall, like Ferris Bueller, when Ferris Bueller breaks that fourth wall and talks to the audience, what does Jason Momoa's Aquaman do? He looks at the camera and winks. That is so stupid and cheesy. I felt like I was watching a Chicken of the Sea commercial with Pantene Pro-V because their hair underwater. No one's fingers are getting pruned. I know it's a movie. It's a movie. It was just bad. And I love how people would kind of try to spite me. Oh, it's such a good movie when they'd watch it at home. And I'm thinking, all right, whatever. It's just a popcorn movie. That's all it is. Or the Justice League. The cartoon is better. (laughs) Or what's the other one? Well, the Batman is coming out, I believe, in March with Robert Pattinson. 
you know, Twilight. So I guess when you send a vampire out to play Batman, the Batman. All right, let's let's see. But see, I want to I want to see the hype, or not the hype. I want to see the action in this. Is it really substantial? I don't want the hype. I think hype is like eating McDonald's and getting a Britney Spears Happy Meal. That is hype right there. Because there's no substance to it. There really isn't. It's just a happy meal. And after that, it's deflated. You're not happy anymore. That's what DC does. And I know a lot of people like Ben Affleck as Batman. God. Talk about goodwill hunting, not for Batman. And I'm not hating on Ben Affleck. It's just like, wait a minute. You're going to pick him to play Batman in capital letters H I M him he was good in goodwill hunting he was good in the town he was good in Argo but Batman okay all right i i guess because they figure he'll bring his own personal problems to the performance okay Henry Cavill as Superman as the Man of Steel. If you notice, there's only been one Man of Steel film. Okay. It's been nine years. So that's where DC, it's kind of like... DC is kind of like the Vince Neil. <laughs> I mean, look at Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger has no excuse. He is almost 80 years old, and he is in shape. Yeah, well, that, you know, a lot of drugs, a lot of booze. But if you notice, he doesn't rest on it like Vince Neil. Vince Neil puts a ham sandwich in his butt, and that's it. He's done. He's injected that ham sandwich. So, yeah, the man, the, the whole DC thing is basically the Vince Neil of rock. Okay. If you want some Metallica tool, you go to Marvel. You go to Marvel. Because it's, it's substantial. They don't back down. They put all of that money that you've spent on those film tickets. You and your whole family go. The popcorn and everything. Disney owns it. Disney Plus. But DC, where, where does DC fit into the Pantheon? And it's nothing against DC. Here's the thing. I love the Batman animated series in the 90s. And it didn't hurt that you had Mark Hamill as the Joker. Hello, Batman! Ah! <laughs> you know, Batman, you will let me know when those lambs stop screaming now, won't you? <laughs> yeah. I can't do it like Mark Hamill, but hey, I tried. And that's also a nod to Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, God, that film. 30 years of Silence of the Lambs. And 30 years ago, this I believe it was this month, is when it swept the Oscars. The big five. That doesn't happen all the time. It's only happened three times. It happened one night in 1934. One flew over the cuckoo's nest in 1975. And in 1991, the silence of the lambs. <laughs> See, at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I try to bring it all, to bridge it all together. And when I have moments like this, especially a wonderful three-day weekend, I can record, I can collect my thoughts. I can project a voice into a nice level moment. I can also talk about music. And it wasn't lost on me that yesterday was Kurt Cobain's birthday. I'm a big Nirvana fan. 
and that was also Sidney Poitier's birthday. So you have music and film right there. They go together. Every time I watch To Sir With Love and Lulu sings To Sir With Love, yeah, you get a little misty-eyed. And you look at Sidney Poitier's reaction. You know, Lulu went on to write a lot of songs. She wrote I Don't Want to Fight for Tina Turner. So look into that. Research that. And then Nirvana. The 90s, really, that was when hair metal truly died. This new scene. And you got to be careful about scenes because then it becomes oversaturated. Where everyone in Sony went to Seattle looking for the next Nirvana. It's not going to happen. And you've got Pearl Jam in the mix and you've got Alice in Chains. You know, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and the Melvins all predate that whole Seattle <sighs> explosion. You know, you have the British invasion and then you have the Seattle explosion. Even the forefathers of God, of, grunt, of of alternative REM moved to Seattle for a time to record because they were originally based out of Athens, Georgia, along with the B-52s. So everything kind of has its sell-by date. It, you know, Seattle had basically been cleaned out by the time that Kurt Cobain killed himself in 1994 at the age of 27. There is a lot of speculation behind that. Did he actually do it? Was he murdered? That's where the mythology comes into play. When someone of that magnitude dies, like John Lennon, of that what what might have been, the mythology of rock and roll is right there to catch it. Lane Stanley of Alice in Chains, the same thing. I am such a fan of Alice in Chains. That sound. And even though now they have a new lead singer, I just, for me, it's like the doors. That's, an, that's the main ingredient of a mythology is what happened in Paris in that bathtub. We will never know. People have their own ideas, their own perceptions. The, the doors of perception right there of what really happened in July of 1971, 51 years ago. And then the music of the doors. The music of the doors, it it's funny because it come, you know, that's 1967, that's the summer of love. And it came out months before the summer of love. It came out before Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, where everything was psychedelicized. And the Rolling Stones, their Britannic Majesties, the same thing. What the doors tapped into was this darkness, this in-between. You have to have the light in the dark, dark in order to exist. Even Ray Manzarek of the doors knew that. And also, there was a cinematic aspect to the doors music that a lot of the other bands didn't have. If you think of the titles like 20th Century Fox, hello, The End, which is very epic about the Oedipus complex it plays out like a film and that's where music and film go together another one of that is Black Sabbath Black Sabbath really started out because Ozzy said and I quote why do people go to the movies and get scared what the fuck let's make music about hell and death and shit and they get scared 
And so that's how that went down. So when I do these shows on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I am trying to summon all of the different corners of my mind. All this this information that I have in there, I don't write things down. Very rarely, very rarely, even when I have a guest on. When I ha- I, I've had only a few guests on, Jason Almy um, was one where we talked about new- film noir, and it was because he knew more than I did, which is great. That, that, and I always welcomed that. And then George Strombolopoulos. You know, George Strombolopoulos, we were on his live Instagram, the LNC. Shout out to the LNC. And he said, hey, I want to be on the show. I said, okay. That was almost a year ago. Uh, I wouldn't ask him to be on the show again because once is enough. Once is enough. I've been on his show. I've been on the Apple Music show. And it was it was it was a good thing. That's why I consider him a friend. And he said, "Hey, homie, I'll, I I want to talk about films on your podcast." I was like, "Okay." We and I thought, "Well, do you want to talk about Apocalypse Now?" Because he talks about Apocalypse Now a lot. He says, "No, let's talk about Ken Russell's The Devils." I had never seen it. I rented it that night on the Shutter app. I think it was the this horror network app. I watched it the next a couple of hours later I had to go get my boot my my first of the three you know uh I, the Moderna but I but I I watched it because I knew the next day and I had to be ready ready he was probably going to go live and want to talk about it and lo and behold he did and we talked about it and I was ready that's where you do your homework you do your homework internally you you don't have to write it down. You just think, okay, we this is what I remember from the film. It was like a giant music video. It was. There was all kinds of shocking moments, and there were there were titillating moments. And I said to him, you know, anytime you put Vanessa Redgrave in a film, especially during the seventies, she's gonna bring it with that red hair. And Vanessa Redgrave brought it, as did the late. Oliver Reed and then Ken Russell Ken Russell was a really maverick director he did The Devils and then he did this rock opera Tommy based on the Who album so you've got Anne Margaret Oliver Reed, Jack Nicholson Roger Daltrey, Elton John Eric Clapton, Tina Turner everyone that was anyone was in that rock opera in fact Anne Margaret got nominated for an Oscar for Tommy it's a, it's a pretty awesome film visually and the way they tell the story with the music and at that time musicals were just and it was not a typical musical it was a rock opera because musicals at that time basically were going the way of the dodo I mean you had cabaret and you had New York New York and it hasn't been until like recent times especially with Chicago and West Side Story, that musicals have come back into the forefront. My grandmother's era, that was the big thing, was the musicals, Technicolor, Cinemascope. That's where music and film go together. So whenever people give me that eyebrow, the raised eyebrow, which I can do very well, the, oh, this, you don't just talk about film <laughs> on the film podcast. Oh, I do. Because it all goes together. It is all interconnected, even in my crazy little world. I am uh, 
major eccentric, and I believe in that wholeheartedly. Okay. When I talk about things, and I try not to go on to tangents because you know my critics, and I and I have oh, trust me, I've got many, and I know some of you are listening, and oh, it's not put together properly. It's not. It's not one of those true crime podcasts. First of all. I don't even get why you all are into true crime. Because life itself is a crime. It can be a fun crime. It can be a fuck over. You know that old saying, life isn't fair, sweetie. And it's not. It's not. I don't want to get inside the head of a serial killer. I've already watched Silence of the Lambs, okay? <laughs> if if we've gotten into Hannibal Lecter's mind, come on. And it's funny, I may note that the guy, remember, the, it puts the lotion on the skin? He ended up going on to the show Monk. So talk about stretching it. He plays a serial killer in the Silence of the Lambs, and then he plays a police captain in Monk. A comedy, a very funny comedy. So yeah, we we all we all have our moments now, don't we? And with the Doctor Zeus Film Podcast, that is no exception. So that's why I don't really get into the true crime. And like I said, nothing against it. If that's what you like, if that's what you, if that's what wakes you up in the morning and gets you all fired up with that coffee. I wonder if he did it. I don't give a fuck I don't I don't give a fuck if I want to know if I want to watch a serial killer at work I watch Dexter and shout out to those whom I know very well and respect who love Dexter you know why because he's a serial killer with a code and then when you watch Dexter New Blood you would you the doors are opened. It is like that scene in The Shining with the blood. Remember the elevator opens and all that blood comes streaming out. That's what Dexter New Blood is. Everyone has asked me, what did I think of Dexter New Blood? I thought it was fabulous. I love how it ended. And at the same time, people were kind of split in the middle. Some people hated it. This is what we've been waiting for. And I'm just sitting there like, this is awesome. Because of course, and I'm not going to give it away, of course it had to end that way. It had to. What what else are you expecting? You want a perfect ending? There is no such thing as a perfect ending ending because there's always going to be shit hitting the fan there's going to be leftovers you haven't cooked it it's not been morseled or tenderized yet as you can tell I'm hungry with Dexter New Blood cinematically the way that was told Michael C. Hall is such a brilliant actor and what he brought and we we live in this time of craziness and division and people and 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 quarantining and i'm sure those of you who had to quarantine were watching Dexter New Blood and after it was over i went back and started to rewatch the original seasons cuz that's what it's about it 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 reinvigorated Dexter for me as well 
I thought it was just in terms of the story, you know, pe- not everyone is going to be satisfied. That's something you have to learn as a creative type. Not everyone is satisfied. And that's fine. And that's sometimes when I do podcasts, I'm thinking I do something because I want to do it. Because I like the format and I like just sometimes I won't even listen to these shows back. Sometimes I will. I, I sometimes write and when I write things, I, I forget about them. I just write it because it needed to get out. I needed to take it out of me. It needed to be released. And cinematically, that's how I felt Dexter ended in a very poignant way. It was not the traditional, oh my God, this is, this is the Emmy ending, the series finale. Who cares? That's all I have to say about that. Okay. Yeah. I think the true intent of television has changed drastically because now we can stream it. We can watch it on our phones people binge it i i did the binging it gets old after a while i i remember i watched three episodes of succession season three just to end it and then i felt i felt kind of uh cheated after that because i thought what else am i gonna watch so then i started watching bosch again because i haven't finished bosch that's always the thing everyone is waiting to finish something rather than just enjoy it and let it marinate and that's how I felt the Dexter New Blood. It let it marinate. Marinated. People wanted to know what's going to happen. It doesn't work that way. People were making their, their guesstimations. How is it going to end? How is it going to play out? Let's just say I, I when I saw the episode was up, because I got them on Saturday night at 9 p.m. on the HBO or no sorry showtime app i went home i said to my friends i gotta go home because i gotta watch dexter new blood the finale who knows what's gonna happen next that's the beauty of that storytelling is you don't know what's gonna happen it could come back it could come back in a different form okay so that's why personally I don't need to watch true crime or listen to true crime because I can have that because at the same time I need to have comedy I need to have cheese okay I don't watch a lot of reality TV I don't I don't understand why people still watch Big Brother that's fine it's your prerogative as Bobby Brown said and then what and then you know Brittany tried to do it it's your prerogative that's what you want and I don't talk down to my audience we all have things that we like some of you are probably like oh my god he talks about Tool all the time at nauseum well that's what I like or when I talk about classic films and some of you are like oh my god the classic films okay if I were to give you a million dollars and say go watch three classic films you would do it you would do it and then pleasantly surprised you would be like oh my god these are so good because of the narrative narrative the storytelling the filmmaking itself because it does take a village to make a film 
That is the true intent of this podcast. When I started this podcast four years ago, and I, and every time I, I say that, I think of Barbara Walters. I wanted to do a show about women with different points of view. It's called The View. Fuck that. <laughs> Barbara, wherever she is, she is retired. She is doing whatever she needs to do because it's 2022. <laughs> and that's where I try not to take myself too seriously. Especially when I record these things. I've had, I, you know, I've told people to listen to the show and that I don't get, you know, a response back. And I've learned to just let that go. I don't ask, oh, what did you think of the show? It's like, whatever. Because the true people who listen to this show will sometimes tell me, oh, I love this show. Great. Thanks. Even if it's one person. I don't do this show to, for the numbers. I know that people do, and that's fine. I remember when I used to work in education. <laughs> um, this one, I don't know what she was. She was such a dingbat. And she said, oh, what kind of numbers do you have? And I said, that's not why I do it. She's like, well, that's why everyone does it. And I said, well, that's not why I do it. She, she had a weird sense of, of um, entitlement, you know. And so when I do these film podcasts, I don't have any entitlement. I don't expect you to like this show. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. It's like, get off. Get off. I do this for the sake of doing it. If I want to make money off of it, okay, then I'll put a suit and tie on it and make it all pretty. But I will not... Uh, I will not go against my beliefs here and I will not go against the grain. Okay, this is my show and I say what I want on this show. But at the same time, I respect my audience. I don't talk down to you. I don't talk shit about you. I, I've had people who li- used to listen to this show just to hear... They thought it was a shit show. And you know, we all we all learn. Nothing is perfect right out of the gate. And I know that I have critics who still listen to this show, waiting for me to fall on my ass. Well, I say to them, I'll give you 1-800 number and then you can sit in your little support group and listen, okay? Yeah. Shit talkers, shit talkers. And I'm kind of glad that I have, you know, people that hate the show, people that love the show, people that listen and think, he didn't do that right. I I know people who are like, you do the show every day and that really takes the fun out of it. No, it doesn't. Because for me, it gives me the imagination to, you know, just talk about it, to talk about the film, to talk about the music. And the variety of different things and the energy. This is my cup of coffee recording this show, sitting down, holding court with the audience. Last night I talked about The Godfather. That is such a legendary film with a capital L. I mean, if I were to go down the list of the films that I've talked about, that one right there I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of talking about The Devil's very proud of talking about The Seventh Seal. The Seventh Seal is that one film that I always try to tell people about because a lot of people kind of tend to run away from foreign films. 
Now that title at the Oscars is called International Films. Okay. And the work of Igmar Bergman, because it can be dark and it can be depressing. But cinematically, it's beautiful. It's beautiful what he put on that screen. It's beautiful in what Max von Sydow and the rest of the cast brought to the, to the program. Or something like Cabaret celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. And what that really brought to the film scope. It gave us a new... It gave us some new lens. When it came to Liza Minnelli... Liza Minnelli, forget that she, forget that she comes from this legendary family. Where her mother is Judy Garland and her father is Vincent Minnelli. Forget about that. And people did. Because she became Sally Bowles. Or Joel Grey as the MC. And then Joel Grey years later would be on Dallas. So... Yeah, it, it, it really makes its mark. And then Michael York, you know, Michael York, everyone remembers he was that, that character in the Austin Powers films, kind of like Austin Powers is Q. And he was in Cabaret and he was in Running Man and he was in Murder on the Orient Express, which I absolutely love the original. I know that Death on the Nile, you know, that's been remade by Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh is a really great filmmaker. The, the, the Murder on the Orient Express, I kind of had... My only issue was how they handled that big climactic scene. Because when I saw it, it wasn't very climactic compared to the uh, original film from 1974 directed by Sidney Lumet. Whenever I mention those names of filmmakers, those are filmmakers you're probably not aware of because you don't, you know, you think, oh, I'm just going to watch a movie like Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet, or 12 Angry Men. Everyone knows 12 Angry Men. It's, that's, you want to talk about an ensemble, and at the head of that ensemble is Henry Fonda, this everyman character. And then he also did The Wiz. The Wiz is legendary. You've got Nipsey Russell, you've got Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, and Lena Horne. In this this tale of The Wizard of Oz, but it's The Wiz. See what I'm talking about? Or even, you know, Igmar Bergman. Igmar Bergman, who did Fanny and Alexander, The Seventh Seal. Uh, and then he did that movie with a- uh, Ingrid Bergman, the only film he ever did with her, and Liv Ullman, Autumn Sonata, which had a lot of uh, issues on it because Ingrid Bergman and Igmar had never worked together before. They were from the same country. They were from the same school of film. But sometimes it doesn't translate that way on the stage. There are really great films out there, and I always just try to dust them off for you and talk about them. And my love of film, not so much the awards, but films that really carry on into the next decades. And music as well. This year we're going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Ministry Psalm 69. People think that that's Ministry's best album. Ministry has some really great albums before and after 
This is also the 30th anniversary of the year that the uh, that grunge broke. I mean, you think about it. This is the this is the month or uh, this is the year that Nirvana went to number one, played Saturday Night Live, and then Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam became big. Yeah. So a lot happens in these times. And then 30 years ago, this coming fall, I believe, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. That set a whole new bar when it came to West Coast hip-hop. First, it was NWA, which Dr. Dre was a part of. And then he broke off. And then Death Row Records, DOC, boom. You've got Dr. Dre's The Chronic, which is cinematic in itself. That's the thing about the 90s is these great albums that were cinematic. Dr. Dre's The Chronic, Snoop Doggy Dogg's Doggy Style, Murder Was The Case, which was a short film that they did with Snoop Dogg. And then leading up to these independent films, you know, you you don't have Friday without Clerks. You really don't. How that, that set a bar for all these of these independent films, Clerks, Friday. There's a couple of, of uh, uh, others thrown into there. And that was the 90s. That was when things really got real in terms of authenticity and in terms of story and narrative and how music and film were married in those aspects where it wasn't just the film, it was the soundtrack, whether it was singles, whether it was the bodyguard, whether it was murder was the case, dangerous minds, it all went together. And here we are, the 2000s, the 2010s, the 2020s, and it's continued. You, I was watching something the other day, and they were talking about 3-6 Mafias. It's hard out here for a pimp from Hustle and Flow. That's a moment. And when, you know, when awards, in a way, do, they, they don't matter, but that's, a, that's a, a, an impact. And I remember when they won the Oscar, and Queen Latifah was like, it's hard out here for a pimp. That is a moment. That really is Hollywood. Because they put that song out, they put it in the movie, and you just knew. It was off the heels of Eminem's Lose Yourself. Not a lot of hip-hop songs have won Best Song at the Oscars. So that's, that's a moment. It is such a moment. And I am such a fan of how we tell these stories cinematically, through music, through film, through the cinematography, through expression. Expressionism, right there. And so I thought today I would just go on a free forum and just talk about the different things and the way everything is interconnected. You know, like I've talked before about the, the motion picture arts and sciences, because there is a science to the motion picture community as there is the music community. Because you've got to have your engineers, you've got to have your sound mixers, you've got to have the producer, you've got to have someone that helps to facilitate all of it so that it is all within this package that you, the viewer, listener, are able to immerse yourself in the immersive experience and also inclusiveness. 
I always introduce myself to some people as a podcaster. I don't talk about my nine to five job title. I just say I am a podcaster and that's what I do. That is my love right there is just doing these shows for you and serving them up in a, in a nice package that's not totally perfect. If you want if you want perfect, then you know where to go to. Go to the little shit show. That's fine. And I'm not talking down to the audience, you know. I I know that those who are with me, they enjoy this show and I always hear about it and whether it's one person or five people, it it is the cinematic aspects that bring us here. Music and film and how it makes us feel at the end of the day. As always, unpleasant dreams.